The theme uh, of this morning's uh, message is uh, very simple. Uh, it's the opening words of 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 8, where Peter writes, Finally, all of you be of one mind. Peter urges the church, the Christians he was speaking to, but by extension all Christians across space and time, that they be of one mind. Now as we start, it's important to make clear that when Peter says that we must all be of one mind, he doesn't mean that all Christians must agree about all things. Uh, He's not saying that Christians need to share all the same opinions about everything, which is just as well, because they don't. Uh, No group of human beings have the same opinions about absolutely everything. That is not what Peter means Instead, what Peter is saying is that all believers must have an understanding of the direction in which they are going and the reasons why they are going that way. Uh, If you are walking on a journey with someone, uh, you don't have to agree with them about everything, but you do have to agree with where you're going. That's the crucial uh, thing when you're going on a journey with someone else. Uh, You can't walk with another if you are disagreed about the way you are going. And it's similar with the church. Uh, Peter says, be all of one mind. Be clear about the way that you are going and the reasons for which you are going that way. Now imagine that you're on a ship with a large number of passengers on board, uh, but a third of the passengers believe that the ship is a cruise liner, and they are on an expenses-paid luxury holiday. But at the same time, a different third of the passengers believe the ship is a battleship and they are heading for a dangerous and deadly war and again a last third of passengers however are under the impression that the ship is a lifeboat and that their purpose is to rescue people who are drowning now what do you think that voyage is going to be like Do you think that there is going to be harmony and agreement amongst those passengers? Of course not, because they all think they are doing different things. Uh, Those who think it's a cruise liner are going to be very put out by those who think it's a battleship. And those who think it's a lifeboat are going to be very put out by those who think it's a battleship. Again, uh, you can't have harmony if everyone is not of one mind about the purpose for which they are there. And it's the same with the church. The church globally, 
universally, also the church in its local manifestations, wherever that might be, including this church here. Uh, If you have a church full of people with different ideas about what the church is for, you are not going to have harmony. You are not going to have peace. Unity is about understanding why we're here, what we are doing, and where we are going. Without that, there cannot be true unity. Uh, Find me a church where there is disunity, where there is arguments and infighting and lack of harmony, and I'll show you a church where people are disagreed about what the purpose of the church is, what they are there for, and where they are going. That's why Peter opens this last section, or closes this last section of this letter with the words, finally, all of you, be of one mind. Understand who you are and where you are going. And he doesn't end there. Uh, He continues this verse describing what attitude believers should have towards one another. Because he understands that believers will have different opinions sometimes. But nevertheless, Through those disagreements, they must have one mind. And he describes what that looks like in verses 8 and 9. And he describes, uh, ultimately, five things. Uh, He urges, if you like, believers to remember five things as they strive for unity. And so he urges us, here this morning, a church in Little Billinghay. He urges us five things to maintain unity, to be of one mind. Uh, He says, remember, not everyone is like you. Secondly, he says, remember, we are family. Thirdly, he says, remember, be humble. Fourthly, he says, remember, be generous. And lastly, he says, remember, This is your calling. So those are the five things that Peter urges, and we're going to look at each one uh, in turn now, and I'll trustfully show where they are in these verses. So let's look at the first of those uh, exhortations, the first of those instructions from Peter. Remember, not everyone is like you. Look at verse 8 again. Peter says, finally, all of you be of one mind, having compassion for one another. Peter says that we, if we are believers, if we are Christians, we should have compassion on other believers. And that word translated compassion here means to be sympathetic. Uh, to have sympathy for others. Uh, That doesn't mean uh, patting someone on the arm and saying they're there. That's not the kind of sympathy that Peter is talking of. Uh, Sympathy is about considering other people, considering the point of view that other people have, considering the situation that they are living in. 
understanding that what we might find really easy and simple and straightforward, someone else might find incredibly hard and difficult and complicated. And I saw a video uh, the other day, uh, and the title of the video was something like, What It's Like to Have Dementia. And uh, the video was shot in such a way uh, as though it was from the point of view of someone who was uh, struggling with dementia, and it sort of showed them on a journey, getting on the bus, uh, going to the bank, withdrawing money. And uh, it showed it from their kind of point of view with the disorientation and the confusion And it showed the frustration of those they met with who didn't understand the clouding of their mind. And as you saw it from their perspective, you appreciated better the impatience and the frustration of others. And at the end of the video, it showed a better way for those people who they met, how they could interact with someone with dementia. The point of that video was to teach, be compassionate, show consideration for others. Uh, During the pandemic, there was that phrase which was quoted quite a lot, uh, which was, we may all be in the same storm, but we're not all in the same boat. Uh, It's kind of a bit of a cliche, but it's still true. Uh, We are all in the same situation in many ways but that doesn't mean we all cope with the situation in the same way. And Peter is saying, have compassion on one another. Understand that people struggle in ways that you cannot necessarily imagine. Of course, that doesn't mean that there isn't call sometimes to challenge people, to rebuke people. Uh, It doesn't mean that someone behaving badly, we should just kind of uh, put it under the car, roll it under the carpet and say, well, maybe they're struggling with this, that, and the other. No, that's not what Peter's saying. Peter's saying that we need to consider everyone to understand why they're behaving the way they are behaving. For some people, it's because they have very legitimate and deep struggles. For others, it's because they're careless, it's because they're lazy, because they're foolish. But part of compassion, part of consideration of others is learning the difference between the two. It's one thing for an old man with a Zimmer frame to be lagging behind on a journey. It's quite a different thing for a fit 20-year-old to be lagging behind because he's lazy. Consideration is understanding the difference between the two. And Peter says, have compassion on one another. Be considerate. Be sympathetic. See things from other people's point of view, and then you'll be better able to help them yourself. That's the first instruction Peter gives. He says, have compassion on one another. Remember, not everyone is like you. Then he moves on. And the second instruction is remember we are family. Remember we are family. Look again at verse 8. It says, finally, all of you, be of one mind, having compassion for one another, love as brothers. 
Love as brothers. And by that, of course, he means love as brothers and sisters. Uh, Love as siblings. We should love one another if we are a believer. We should love other believers as though we are siblings in a family. Uh, Sometimes teammates on a team can forget that they're on the same team, can't they? I remember watching a football match. Uh, once where the two of the players had a punch-up in the middle. The problem was, well, it would be a problem anyway, but it was especially a problem because they were both on the same team. And they had forgotten that they both had the same aim. They had the same uh, motivation, or they should have had. And they ended up fighting one another. Uh, Sadly, the same thing can happen in churches. Uh, Believers can lose sight of the big picture And they can fight one another and forget what the purpose really is. You might say, well, of course, brothers can fight each other as well. That can happen in families. So what does Peter mean when he says love as brothers? I think some of the biggest fights can be between brothers. If you have a brother, perhaps you know that yourself. But the reason Peter says love as brothers is because we react very differently, don't we, when we see strangers or acquaintances disagreeing to when we see brothers disagreeing the first is disagreeable and unfortunate we don't like it but the second is tragic when you see brothers or people in a family fighting your heart grieves over it because it should not be so we understand that fighting can happen outside of families but it shouldn't happen within them And our hearts grieve when we see that, because such things should not be so. Blood should be thicker than water. That's what Peter's instructing here. He says, remember, if you're a believer, you are all part of the same family. You're all heading in the same direction. You have the same father. Christ, the same Christ, died for you. Don't waste your life fighting with those on the same team, in the same family as you. I heard it once said that uh, in the Lamb's Book of Life, uh, everyone's who's a believer, everyone, their names are written in that book. And it's all written in the same font, in the same size, and in the same ink. We've got no cause to look down on or be uh, arrogant in our attitude towards one another. Instead, we should love one another as though we are family, because we are. And that's Peter's second instruction. Love one another as family. Do not forget that you are all going in the same direction and you share the same father. But he moves on. And he gives a third instruction. He says, remember, be humble. You can see this at the end of verse 8. Finally, all of you, be of one mind, having compassion for one another, love as brothers, be tender-hearted, be courteous. Now, I must admit, this is a slightly um, baffling translation. I'm not quite sure what the thinking was behind it. Uh, Because when we think of the word courteous... We think of being polite, don't we? That's what courtesy is, it's about being polite. But that's not what this word, the word Peter uses, actually means. 
the word Peter uses means to be humble-minded. The word's all to do with humility, which I suppose is tangentially connected to being polite, but it's more than that. It's about having a humble mind. Now, some arguments are worth having, aren't they? Sometimes important issues come up and we should argue. It is wrong not to argue. Uh, If you're on a journey to Edinburgh and your driver wants to take the A1 south to London, you should have an argument. (laughs) You should object because something is wrong. You will not get to your destination that way. If, on the other hand, the driver is heading north, but they've decided to go a different route to the route you prefer, you need to decide whether the argument's worth having or not. And that's what Peter's instructing here. He says, be humble-minded. It does not always have to go your way. Uh, The sad truth is, often, we think some things are important merely because it's our opinion, instead of our our opinions being formed around what's important. Do you hear the difference? It's different to simply think something's important because you think it. That's a very different thing to thinking something because it is important. And Peter says, have a humble mind. Have the humility to say, it's not the way I'd go, but I'm happy to go with it as long as what is essential is in place. And God's given instruction concerning this. Uh, This is why God gives to churches leaders, elders, those who govern the direction a church is going in. In and the Bible exhorts people who come to such churches that they submit to the authority of those who lead. Otherwise, there's chaos. Otherwise, everyone wants to do their own thing and no decisions ever get made. But the Bible says about things which are not essential, there should be humility. I think I've shared the uh, illustration before of uh, Trumpkin the Dwarf in the book Prince Caspian. And Trumpkin is a dwarf in the story who uh, is very strong-willed. He has his own opinions, and in the story, I can't describe the whole story, you have to read it for yourself, Uh, but the the army wants to do a certain thing, and the uh, king suggests a certain course of action, and Trumpkin thinks it's nonsense, thinks it's a ridiculous plan, and he says so. But in the end, they decide to go with the king's plan. And Trumpkin volunteers to carry out the plan. And everyone's shocked. Everyone says, but but Trumpkin, you didn't agree. You didn't want this plan. It wasn't what you wanted to do. And he responded, responds in the book, and he says... I've given my advice, but now's the time for taking orders. He realized the difference between expressing his opinion and then obeying 
what was instructed. He had a humble mind. And that's what Peter says we should have also. A humble mind towards one another, not insisting on our own way, simply because it's our way. That's the third instruction. Remember to be humble. Join towards the end now. Peter gives a fourth instruction. It says, remember, you can afford to be generous. You can afford to be generous. Look at verse 9. Peter says, not returning evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, blessing. Peter says, when people abuse you, when people don't treat you the way you should be treated, don't respond in the same way. Instead, bless those who curse you. He's saying you don't have to right every wrong done against you. You can afford to be generous. Uh, one of the central commands to believers in the New Testament is to forgive. Uh, Christ repeatedly says it again and again and again. Forgive one another. Love one another. As God has forgiven you, so forgive other people. Uh, Jesus told a parable about a servant who had a huge debt to pay his master. Uh, I think if you do the maths, it's something in the region of, of a couple of millions of pounds this uh, servant had to owe to pay his master. And the master forgives the debt. Every last penny, he says, you're forgiven. And then immediately that servant goes to one of his fellow servants, one of his should-be friends, and he forces the friend to pay him the couple of quid that friend owed him. And the king, the master, calls the servant back in, and he says, how could you be so stingy? How could you be so ungracious towards your fellow servant when I gave, forgave you such a huge debt. And Jesus is teaching believers, Christ has forgiven us our sin. We have a huge debt we owe to God, but Christ has paid it all for us on the cross. If you're a believer here this morning, you have a huge debt completely wiped clean. So how can we not show grace and forgiveness to other believers who owe us far less. We can afford to be generous because God has it all under control. He's forgiven us our sin and he will deal with all the rest in his time. Uh, no one is ever going to get away with anything. Now, that's the teaching of Judgment Day in the Bible. Now, we often talk about Judgment Day as though it's a bad thing, uh, and that's because we're often on the wrong side of justice. But actually, Judgment Day is a wonderful thing. Judgment Day is the teaching that one day every wrong will be righted. One day, everyone who ever harmed you will get the just 
penalty for what they did to you. But the Bible's clear, that's God's business. Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. You don't need to take that justice on yourself. You don't need to take the responsibility of revenge on your own. Instead, you have the freedom to leave it to God. And God will deal with it in his time, which leaves us free to be generous, free to be gracious, free to bless those who curse us. Now, just to be clear, when we say that, that doesn't mean that sometimes we've got to do things which are unpleasant for the person who has hurt us. Uh, Sometimes there is discipline that is needed. Uh, How do I know that? Well, the Bible teaches that God has forgiven us, and yet God still disciplines us, doesn't he? Uh, God doesn't just simply ignore it when we do things wrong, and we shouldn't ignore the wrong that people do to us. What Peter is saying is that we shouldn't take vengeance on them over it. We leave that to God, regardless of whatever discipline must happen in the meantime. In some cases, we might have to call the police. Uh, In some cases, we may have to uh, withdraw in our relationship from them. What we must not do is grow resentful. What we must not do is grow bitter. What we must not do is take justice into our own hands. That is the point. Don't return evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, blessing. Seek the good of all people, even those who hate you. And remember, you can afford to be generous. But that leads to the last, uh, the third, the fifth and last instruction that Peter gives. Uh, We've seen that he says that we should remember that not everyone is like us, so we must be compassionate. We must remember that if we're believers, we are family, we share the same father. We must remember to be humble and not insist on our own way. We must remember to be generous and not be vengeful. But lastly, Peter says, remember, this is your calling. This is your calling if you are a believer. Look again at verse 9, and I'll I'll read verses 8 and 9 again. He says, finally, all of you be of one mind, having compassion for one another, love as brothers, be tender-hearted, be courteous, not returning evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, blessing, knowing that you were called to this, that you may inherit a blessing. Peter says, this is the life you were called to. You know, as I was preparing this, uh, it occurred to me that all these descriptions, all these attitudes that Peter urges for believers all have something in common. 
What they all have in common is that they are attitudes of heart. Peter's not merely saying, change your outward behavior. He's going much deeper than that. He's saying true Christian unity, true brotherly love, is something on the inside, not just something on the outside. He says, have compassion on one another. That's a feeling. That is something which is within. He says, be tender-hearted. And uh, I understand that that word, if you translate it literally, means good bowels. And what it means is, is that he's talking about a gut-level kindness that we should have for others. Not merely a kind of surface politeness, uh, like we might show to anyone, but a level of love which is on the inside as well, uh, which isn't hypocritical. Uh, He says, be humble-minded. Not just a fake humility, which we British people are very good at, but humility of the mind, a true humility, the willingness to forgive. Peter is talking about an attitude of heart. In other words, Peter is saying here exactly what he said at the end of chapter 1. Don't you remember that? It was a few months ago now, last year. This is what he wrote at the end of chapter 1. He said, Since you have purified your souls... In obeying the truth through the Spirit, in sincere love of the brethren, love one another fervently with a pure heart, having been born again, not of corruptible seed, but incorruptible, through the word of God which lives and abides forever. Peter says to believers, you've been born again. You've been given a new heart. Therefore, love one another fervently. The only way we can love each other the way Peter urges us to, the way God through Peter urges us to, is by having a complete change of hearts. You cannot do this by yourself. You cannot make yourself love someone from the heart who you do not love. You cannot make yourself compassionate on someone who you do not feel compassionate for. You cannot grant yourself humility. Remember the story of a man who was convicted by his pride, and so he decided to walk around the streets with a placard saying, I am a proud man. And as he walked, he saw the sniggers and the uh, jeers of people around him as they saw him do this uh, humbling thing. And he felt suitably humbled by it. But the moment he got back through his front door, and as he took the placard off, he had the thought, I bet no one else would have done that. (laughs) And he realized his humility was no better, or his pride was no better. Bible's teaching is you cannot change yourself. You can adapt your outward behavior. You can make yourself look clean to an extent, especially on a Sunday morning. But you cannot change your heart. In some ways, that's devastating. 
Because you think, well, what can I do? God says I should be these things. Peter says that it's essential for unity that we have this singleness of mind, this attitude of heart. And yet the Bible says we can't do it. We can't change our heart. Well, thankfully, there's good news. The good news is that although we can't, God can. Jesus can. Jesus can change our heart, and he is willing to. All he asks is for us to bow before him and say, God, change me. Create in me a clean heart, O God. The Bible calls it repentance and faith. That's what it means to be a Christian. To turn away from your own way and to turn to Christ. Receive as a gift the forgiveness he offers and receive the Holy Spirit who transforms our hearts and teaches us this love which we cannot teach ourselves. You know, in John's Gospel, uh, some people came to Jesus and they said to him, what must we do to perform the works of God? Or to put it more simply, they said, how can we do what God wants us to do? And Jesus' answer was really simple. His answer was, believe on the one whom he has sent. Believe on me. Trust in me. Turn away from your own way. Turn away from your own efforts and follow me. And then we receive all God's forgiveness, all God's Holy Spirit as a gift from him. Isn't that good news? It's not about you. It's not about what you have or have not done in the past. It's about what Christ has done for you and can do in you. That's how we be of one mind. Uh, In closing, uh, do you remember what Jesus did when he wanted the church to be united? Uh, You might say, well, what passage of scripture is that? Uh, Well, we're told in John 17. Uh, In John 17, it's all about unity and Christ's desire that the church be united as one. But what did Jesus do to accomplish that? He prayed. He prayed to his Father. And that's what we must do as well. It's not about more effort. It's not about more energy. Uh, It's not about a tick list of things that we must do, a step-by-step guide. We must pray. We must go to the only one who can give us the grace to be what he calls us to be. That's our calling, and we can accomplish it through him. And that's why I've chosen as our final hymn, number 346, a hymn which is all about the love that believers should have for one another. Number 346, blessed be the tie that binds our hearts in Christian love. The fellowship of kindred minds is like to that above. So we'll close by singing number 346.